Hello, you are listening to the Nourish Gut Podcast. This space is for the woman who is suffering from digestive issues like IBS and SIBO. I am your host, Carly Raven. I am a naturopath, clinical nutritionist, gut health expert, and mother. My mission is to help educate you about IBS and SIBO and take you on a journey to resolving your digestive issues. I will have real conversations and give you solutions that I know actually work. So if you're ready to be bloat-free, poo better, have more energy and become free from the fear of food, then you are in the right place. Hello, welcome back to the Nourish Gut Podcast. Today we're going to be diving deep into small intestinal fungal overgrowth. So many of you will have heard me talk about small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, but something I haven't yet covered and educated you about is fungal overgrowth. And this can be a really big component to a lot of people. And sometimes you can actually have SIBO and SIFO occurring in your bowel, and then there's LIBO, which is large intestinal overgrowth as well, which I talk a lot about in a lot of my podcasts in terms of dysbiosis. So you kind of, if you've been listening to my podcasts a lot, you probably already know a little bit about large intestinal overgrowth. But today we're going to dive into fungal overgrowth because as I said, it can be coexisting with SIBO, but it can actually be an issue on itself. And I think Candida has kind of been around for like 30 years. You know, it's always been talked about, you know, the anti-Candida diet and treatment for Candida um, is a bit of a hype. It goes through, you know, fads over the years. As a practitioner, I've watched it kind of come in hot and then it kind of fades out. And then all of a sudden I'll get a rush of people messaging me or emailing me about potential Candida in their gut, depending on what's going on in the media and things like that. And there's a lot of misinformation and understanding about what it actually is. Um, And then when it comes to the testing and the diagnosis of it, there are a few little, you know, issues there. And um, it's not always, you know, the validity of some of the testing and things like that isn't always great. So it it can be a little bit tricky to navigate. Um, So this is going to be part one uh this episode and then we're going to have a follow-up episode um which we're going to dive deep into more about you know what to do and the treatment and things like that so today we're going to be discussing kind of like a bit of an overview and more about the diagnosis and testing for um CFO and uh yeasts and candida um so look out for the second episode as well. So I just kind of want to start by looking at a little bit more of like a bigger picture of what can be going on. So yeast, molds, and fungus generally make up what's called fungi. And this, as practitioners, we call them like a kingdom, you know, bacteria gets broken down into phylums and kingdoms. And this uh, fungi generally includes molds and yeasts. Um, CFO, so small intestinal fungal overgrowth, commonly is referring to yeast, all right? And there's actually this relationship that exists between the environment, mold, and internal yeast, and what's called uh, small intestinal fungal overgrowth, okay? Then what we also have is the species, and this is what is termed candida and there are different types of candida as well so candida albicans is the common one um, that you would probably know about um, if you've done a bit of research into candida Um, and the primary location of candida is the small intestine 
and candida is commensal um, and we can actually kind of have a loss of tolerance and how we actually re like uh, react to it in our body um, so that can kind of have uh, a little bit of an issue in terms of you know um, it being in the gut and not, not causing an issue versus it being in the gut and overgrown or um, you know that loss of tolerance posing an issue one of the key things with candida is that I don't, from the research that I've done, I haven't been able to establish like what a healthy level of candida in the gut would be. If you're a practitioner or a microbiome researcher and you happen to be listening to this and you do know of such research, please email me. I would absolutely love to read it um, and learn more about that. But um, to date, I haven't yet seen anything come out. And this is what makes it really hard when it comes to testing because we don't actually know, well, how abundant should that be in, in the small intestine or in, you know, if it's present um, elsewhere in the body, uh, what levels that should be at. So that's a limitation already. So when we look at yeast and candida and fungal overgrowths, they can actually have related disorders in our body. So you guys will be all really common about like infections. So whether that's like a, a vaginal candida infection, or you can kind of get, you know, toe and foot and fungal infections. Obviously there's um, small intestinal fungal overgrowth, but then we can also have like immune mediated issues going on. And this is where allergies and sensitivities occur because of the processes that are occurring because of the um, candida, the yeast or the fungal issues, you know, not being tolerated in our body. So what exactly is, you know, small intestinal fungal overgrowth? So it can be characterized by the presence of an excessive number of fungal organisms in the small intestine, and it is associated with gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, and it actually involves an excessive number of fungal organisms, organisms sorry, in the small intestine as opposed to an excessive amount of it um, in the large intestine okay so we definitely can get it in the large intestine but uh you know i see that less common and in fact when i see it coming up or it not occurring i'm looking for different things but i'm not going to get into that because it's going to get very complicated um fungal overgrowth is complicated in itself but i'm trying to break that down for you guys today as simply as possible so the the other thing that's going on with small intestinal fungal overgrowth is that the symptoms of SIFO can actually be the same as SIBO. So common symptoms are belching, bloating, indigestion, nausea, diarrhea. Um, and in my practice, I have seen correlations between excess gas and constipation as well. Um, and, you know, it can be really like we can't actually tell the difference from symptoms alone because SIBO and SIFO are so common. And this is where I think it can kind of begin to, begin to get a little bit confusing, especially for practitioners um, about, you know, do I treat the SIFO? Is, am I looking at SIBO? Do I do both of them? What testing do I do? Where do I start? And, you know, and for an everyday person without this understanding, it's like, oh my God, this is, you know, really, really confusing. All right. So hard to determine on the surface level. So we need to be doing a little bit of digging deeper. Okay. Um, so some clinical symptoms that I have also um, found from my experience um, is definitely that intolerance to alcohol 
sugary foods and like starchy foods. That's like a really common thing that comes up with patients. I do see constipation, as I previously mentioned. However, that's not always the case. You know, you can have diarrhea, but like SIBO, bloating is really quite severe and and quite predominant in a lot of these cases as well. Um, And Dr. Vincent, he's been doing some fabulous, fabulous work in this area. And he's actually found that things like interstitial in women, interstitial cystitis, endometriosis and vulvodynia um, are actually correlated here. So you may have those coexisting or presenting alongside, um, you know, a a fungal overgrowth. Um, Definitely antibiotic use. All right. Allergy, allergenic responses, whether that be food and environment. And the key thing to remember is if you relapse shortly after stopping treatment, okay, generally that can be kind of like a fungally thing that's going on. Um, And if SIBO symptoms are overlapping, right, if you can kind of think that both might be occurring. However, if they get, you do SIBO testing, and you're getting a negative breath test, it could be, um, you know, where you're like, I was convinced I had SIBO or my practitioner, you know, you might be a practitioner listening and you're like, you're probably thinking of some key patients where you're like, bugger, they probably had SIFO and I just ruled it all out completely and didn't go down the SIFO road. So if they're presenting SIBO-like, but they get a negative test, then definitely consider SIFO. And if they don't respond to, um, uh, Sorry, they, they're getting, you do the test and the test has been like your treatment and then you test and it's normalized, um, but they haven't responded symptomatically wise to your SIBO treatment, then you might want to consider doing some SIFO treatment there as well. So they're just some clinical little gems and information kind of gives you some insight to like how I treat it <laughs> um, and some things to look out for. Some key risk factors. Um, uh, motility issues, um, reflux medication, antibiotic use, as I mentioned, and also um, a really big one is GI surgeries. Um, and if you're currently using opioid medication, that would also be um, something to take into consideration that would lead me more towards like a fungal issue. So associated conditions, this is really, really interesting. Um, we know that there's some research between um CFO and IBS, IBD, celiac, food intolerances, allergies, even mast cell activation syndrome, autoimmune diseases, eczema, quite a lot. Um, today, I want to kind of focus a little bit more about like the research that I've been reading in regards to it showing a link between CFO and IBS-like symptoms. Um, and, you know, there's been actually some pretty great studies done that actually show that 63% of patients uh, had an overgrowth, 40% had SIBO, 26% had CFO, and 34% had mixed CFO and SIBO. And I'm going to put the link. That's kind of like one of the most recent research articles that I've come across um, by Dr. Rayo. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes and you guys can go and have a look because it's really, really interesting. And it really does highlight that, you know, CFO is an issue in up to 26% of patients and also that 34% have mixed CFO and SIBO. So, you know, we really need to be considering as to whether there's a fungal issue going on, not just SIBO. 
Um, now, in terms of IBD, I do want to touch on that a little bit. Um, actually, hang on one second. I just want to... The research in terms of IBS, I probably should mention that a little bit more. I kind of got all stuck up in my head about the, the research article. But what they've actually seen is that common symptoms, um, you know, up to 60 to 80% of patients with CFO actually present with abdominal pain, bloating, fullness, nausea and the flatulence and we can see that that's typical with um, IBS as well so you know symptomatically wise there's also some research there linking the two so now moving on to IBD um, is you know it's really interesting you know there are quite a lot of clinical research that's been done um, on candida in the colon um, and it is quite a you know, this is probably a podcast on its own, but I just want to touch on it today because I think it really highlights that it does exist, um, in particular with Crohn's disease, but osteocolitis. Um, and it's all got to do with the altered immune responses that occur in response to that candida exposure or infection within the gut that elicits those response in the gut. And they've actually found there was one particular study done where, um, you know, antifungals, whether that be medical or naturopathically, were were given, and they actually helped. Um, they helped the patient get into remission when they had ulcerative colitis. So there's definitely, you know, some information there that suggests that this type of treatment and the role that these species of candida are playing in the gut can be really, you know, not so health promoting and pathogenic inflammatory creating you know poor immune firing and responses in the gut so i think it's definitely something to be looking at in not just ibs but also ibd so as i was kind of mentioning before as well like allergies is a really big thing that come you know like allergies across the board are just you know eczema hay fever rhinitis sneezing skin issues urticaria like all, they're on the rise like i when i was a generalist um, naturopath before really specializing in gut health like it was probably one of the most common things that I was coming across in my clinical practice but what I want to kind of talk about right now is that um, there's a link between CFO and allergies and this is mainly what I've seen as in animal studies that increase the you know when there's candida present um, you know commonly it occurs after antibiotics and there's that antibiotic exposure the candida colonization occurs and that actually led to increased allergy presentation in a lot of um, uh, patients and that can actually include mold microtoxin and environmental allergens as well it's really really fascinating and something that we um, yeah need to be taking into consideration um, sometimes we just kind of focus on the gut stuff but there's systemic stuff going on as well and it can be suggestive of issues that are going on in the gut so um mast cell activations and now we're talking about the immune system and a particular cell that releases histamine again this is looking at animal research and it's showing that they can colonize um, so the candida colonizes and then there's this like inflammatory process that's happening so now we're starting to think about you know intestinal hyperpermeability and leaky gut and and gi mast cell production and that leads to immune um, specific reactions to food so hello food intolerances again you know last um, episode we were talking about um, histamine which is another huge thing that we need to take into consideration but sometimes fungal overgrowth can also be you know upright regulating things in our gut and creating food intolerances but we go on and we blame the food but 
you know, there's deeper issues going on. So hopefully that's more encouragement for you to, you know, seek out further um, professional help and dig deeper and, you know, don't just take an IBS label as what you've got and put up with debilitating gut issues because sometimes <laughs> there's definitely more going on. Um, oh, gosh, there's so much to cover. This is why I've done two parts because I just knew that this was going to become such a big thing to talk about. So another really interesting thing is um, CFO and gluten. So there can be... Um, Candida can pose more of an issue in people who are um, genetically susceptible okay, um, to gluten. All right, so it can actually trigger, uh, let me break this down. I didn't think this through properly. Candida colonization can actually be a trigger to gluten sensitivity. And I know that this may go over some of your heads and that's okay. Leave this up to your naturopath, but for the naturopaths and the health professionals listening. Um, And we also know that, you know, celiac disease. So looking into um, and and looking at, you know, whether this is going on and leading to potential gluten celiac issues and testing for celiac and gluten issues in your patients um, is really, really important. And then if there's that fungal component, um, I would really recommend like addressing that because it's going to like put more fuel on the fire. I think I got there. That was a round, well-rounded, not a very good explanation. (laughs) So I apologize, but you know, that's me just being my true me. Sometimes things come out super clear and other times not so clear. Um, In terms of diagnosing, you know, like there isn't amazing tests out there and stool testing, I don't believe is super, super accurate. Um, I don't really use stool testing to diagnose um, candida. You can do blood testing to look at the antigens and the antibodies associated with candida. Um, And there's also organic acid testing. Sometimes food intolerance testing can be um, beneficial because you're looking at, you know, bakers and bakers yeast and things like that. Um, but it really depends on the patient and, you know, looking at SIBO and ruling that out and, and trialing SIBO treatment. And, um, sometimes you can even combine some really beautiful herbal fungal, um, therapies in combination with your SIBO treatment to try and address both if testing, cause you know, it can get really expensive trying to do all of these testing. So, you know, sometimes if I, you know, suspect both i will just kind of do a little bit of fungal treatment at the same time and you can definitely kind of do like some yeast free sugar free diet and to see and just monitor your improvement after two to four weeks i would say if you do that and you see improvement then i would definitely follow that up with a health professional because you want to address that overgrowth and if you're seeing that improvement it's a really great indication that something is going on um, and kind of like you don't want to just put a band-aid approach on that so um, I dive more deeply into um, all of this in my practitioner training so if you're a practitioner I'd highly recommend coming over um, my small intestinal fungal overgrowth module is in level two um, so you can definitely get in contact with me if you want to learn more about that but for the everyday person who thinks that this might be an issue for them, um, please reach out. I run my Nourish Gut program um, and this is something that we can screen for and work together, you know, and work out kind of what's going on and what testing because it is really individualized. Like the gold standard 
would be um, an aspiration and culture from the duodenum and the, the geneum. Um, and that would be done by your gastroenterologist, but it's not commonly done, um, unfortunately. So it does kind of leave us in a tricky tricky spot but um you know with a bit of detective skills and you know evaluating whether it's important for you right now um we can run some tests and most of the patients i work with are willing to invest in some further testing to kind of you know get them the best clinical outcomes because you know we need to know this information um and once we know better we can do better and implement really great treatment plans and without that information, sometimes it is a little bit of like stabbing in the dark. And, you know, there's definitely practitioners out there that don't do testing in, in their practice. And there's not a right or right, wrong way, but I really do believe in functional testing and that um, allowing for really great clinical outcomes and personalized treatment plans based off your unique gut. So definitely get in touch if you'd like to dig deeper into that. Um, I'm going to come back. We're going to run part two because this is already really long and I have so much more to share. Um, so I'll catch you in the next episode. Take care. Bye. Did you like what you heard? Leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about my Nourish Gut program or the Nourish Gut Kids membership, head over to my website. Would you like to be a part of a community that gets it? Join our Facebook group, Nourish Gut Community, or come and follow me over on Instagram. All of these links can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time on the Nourish Gut Podcast.